the parents will tell me, well, I tried to make my kids study and I gave them this book and they wouldn't do it. And we got into a fight about it. And that's a really common story. And it, it's just hard to do it. And having an outside person who is not the parent can often make a big difference. Right. Yeah, I know. I know for me, for sure, like hearing it from your parents is never as authentic as hearing it from anyone else. Like it doesn't matter if they say the same thing verbatim, as long as it was someone else. They're like, oh, OK, I'm going to I'll listen to this. But like, mom, absolutely not. But like this guy over here, like, yeah, I'll listen to what they're saying. Welcome to the Awkward Mom Stage podcast. Grab yourself a glass of water or wine, whichever suits your day and get ready because the Awkward Mom Stage starts now. Hey y'all and welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, hi, hello and welcome. I'm Lola and I'm so glad you're here. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Dr. Kelly Frendel. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and a PhD in public health. She's a test prep expert specializing in test preparation styles, techniques, and study material. She's an expert with all those pesky tests we dread so much before college. The SAT, ACT, SSAT, PSAT, GRE, TAKS, and ISEE. Dr. Kelly's passion is helping students exceed their expectations, manage stress, develop good study habits, and more. She's talking to us today at a time when students are getting reacclimized to being back in school environments after two years of digital learning. The stress of testing, graduation, and college seem even bigger now. I'm sure everyone could use some tips on testing. I myself hate taking tests, even though I know all the information, doesn't matter. As soon as the test starts, my mind blanks. <laughs> so this will definitely be a helpful conversation as many move closer to graduation day. I'm excited for you to join our conversation and hear everything Dr. Kelly has to share today. So let's get into my conversation with Dr. Kelly Frendel. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on and spending time to answer questions. I know myself, as well as many students currently right now, have so many questions for test prep. I feel like, especially with my daughter, my oldest is a senior, so there's tests galore. So I always give a little introduction at the beginning of the episode just to kind of introduce the guest, but I like for the guests to kind of give a little backstory and tell everyone who they are and give a full introduction for themselves. So if you please go ahead and tell us who you are, how you got started, and what you do. I'm Dr. Kelly Frendel, and I teach test prep, and I teach a couple of different tests. I do SAT and ACT for high school students who are looking to go to college, and then I also work with younger students who take a test called the SSAT or the ISEE, and those are usually for entrance to private schools or boarding schools. And I've been doing this for about 22 years. I got started in 2001, actually when I went to graduate school, because I had to study for a test called the GRE which is a graduate school entrance exam. And I had to learn about 1,040 vocabulary words for that test. And when I got done, I thought I should do something with these vocabulary words that I've just learned. And so I got hired by the Princeton Review, which is one of the major test prep companies, learned how to do SAT prep from them, and then continued on with test prep. And then I started my own business in 2007. Okay. Wow. Well, that is that's a lot of vocabulary words. I love reading and stuff, but I feel like my brain will explode with that. So, 
So, of course, today I am full of questions and I have some questions from students and myself. So as a test prep expert, what's like the number one problem students come to you with in regards to testing? I know for me, even when I was prepared for the test, the second the test was put in front of me, my mind goes blank. I start sweating like it's a whole thing. So what's something you hear from students a lot when it comes to trouble with testing? That That is one thing I hear a lot, that people have a lot of anxiety about these tests. And a lot of my students do deal with anxiety, sometimes on a clinical level, sometimes just more generally. But these tests can be anxiety provoking for sure. And people have heard their whole life, oh, you have this test that determines everything and it determines your future and it's everything. And the landscape has changed a little bit in the last few years with COVID and some of the schools have dropped tests or made them optional, but they're still pretty high stake tests high stakes tests. And so one of the things that I always talk about with my students as soon as they come to me is about what these tests measure and what they don't measure. Because a lot of times kids think, oh, these are IQ tests. They say how smart I am. They say how successful I'm going to be. They say if I'm a good person or not. And they really have this idea that it's these tests say something about them as a person. Right. And it's really not true. And neither the SAT nor the ACT or IQ test, they're not even aptitude tests. The SAT used to be called the scholastic aptitude test. And they had to stop right. calling it that because it isn't an aptitude test. It's just measuring a set of skills on a certain day. And that's it. And SAT now just officially stands for SAT. It doesn't mean anything. It's not an acronym. Okay. It's just letters. And so that that's the first thing we talk about is just really realizing tests are just information and they really don't say anything about a person. And I have a lot of students who come to me sometimes that they might have very successful parents and their brothers and sisters just walked in and got almost a perfect score without studying. And they're not that person. And when they come to me, they say, well, why am I dumb? What's wrong with me? I've worked hard. I must be stupid. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to end up on the street. They have this whole story about what's going to happen. And none of that is true. And it doesn't make you inherently a better person to have a good math score on the SAT than to be good at art or music or sports or something else. It's, It's just information. So that's the first thing I always talk about with my students. And uh, interestingly enough, a lot of times that calms people down because nobody's ever told them that because they've just heard their whole life, SAT, ACT, important. It's the most important thing. And it's not. It is important. Right. But it's definitely not a defining characteristic of someone. Right. I feel like my oldest daughter takes after me with like just not loving test taking <laughs> at all. And she, I think they actually just finished doing all of that testing. So she was like stressing about how she did and everything. And like, I try my best to like calm her down. I'm like, you know, you're prepared and you know, you're ready for this. But at the same time, I'm thinking like someone was telling me this as well. And I was also freaking out. So she's not even hearing what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes just having it come from someone else who's not a parent can be helpful because that's half of what I do besides the test prep. Half the other half is managing expectations and anxiety and not being their parent because it is so much easier to work with someone when, when I'm not involved in a parental dynamic and right. And for the students, too, because I have a lot of kids come to me or parents come to me and they're like, the parents will tell me, well, I tried to make my kids study and I gave them this book and they wouldn't do it. And we got into a fight about it. And that's a really common story. And it's just hard to do it. And having an outside person who is not the parent can often make a big difference. 
Right. Yeah, I know. I know for me, for sure, like hearing it from your parents is never as authentic as hearing it from anyone else. Like, it doesn't matter if they say the same thing verbatim, as long as it was someone else. They're like, oh, OK, I'm going to I'll listen to this. But like, mom, absolutely not. But like this guy over here, like, yeah, I'll listen to what they're saying. So, yeah, I totally get that. 2022 has been all about celebrating our newfound self-awareness and making positive change something this podcast works hard to do every day. Audible helps make space for what matters to you. It's a destination for your wellness, whether you're looking to soul search, be inspired, work towards new goals, unwind, or simply be entertained. I've certainly had time this year to figure out what truly makes me happy, and well, we all know I love Audible. I talk about them all the time. I solved my reading problem with Audible over four years ago, and it's been amazing. It's perfect because they offer books that are narrated by professional voice actors and sometimes the authors themselves. You can listen while driving, cooking, cleaning, or doing anything else that you need your hands free for. It's like having a personal assistant who reads to you whenever you want. Think Diddy and his umbrella holding manservant, but with books. With the new update, they have podcasts, sleep meditations, and more. There really is something for everyone, and the best part is it doesn't cost you anything to start. Click the link in the show notes to sign up today at audibletrial.com slash the awkward mom stage and get 30 days in your first book free. All of their books are DRM free, which means they aren't locking them away from other devices, even if your subscription expires or you cancel. You can still keep and access all the books you've already purchased. Just download them again from anywhere, anytime. There's over 180,000 titles available to choose from, and that number just keeps growing. Visit audibletrial.com slash theawkwardmomstage to get started on your reading list today. Now back to the show. Now, I heard that colleges weren't like necessarily requiring SATs and ACTs anymore. Is it still good to take them? Yes. And there has been a shift in the last couple of years. And this shift was coming anyway, pre-pandemic, that schools were starting to either drop the requirements altogether or they would go what's called test optional, where you do get to decide if you're going to submit them or not. And the pandemic has really sped that up. And what happened at the beginning, that first year in 2020, all of the tests got canceled for about six months. There were no SATs or ACTs between about March and November or so of 2020. And so at that time, Almost all schools said tests are optional because it wouldn't have been fair to require tests from people who couldn't take them because centers were closed and everything was shut down. Some of those schools stuck with that decision. Some of them said, we're going to do a three-year experiment and see what happens. And then a few of them went back to just requiring tests flat out. And so we're getting towards the end of that three-year experiment period. And schools are really still trying to figure out what to do. So a lot of schools still are test optional for right now. But there there are a lot of nuances to that. And I have a lot of parents and kids come to me and they say, oh, well, they're optional. I'm not going to take it. If I have a choice, why would I do it? And it, the answer is it's much more complicated than that because some of the schools say they're test optional, but they're really kind of test optional in name only. And right. for most people, they really need to be taking the test. And some of the schools really do mean it. And so if you have a child who is just never going to be a good test taker, and there are a few people who are just never going to be good at it. A lot of people think they're bad test takers, and it turns out they just are missing some skills, or they just need right. some confidence, or they need some practice. And there there are some legitimately 
there are legitimately people out there who just are never going to be good at tests. So for those people, choosing test optional schools is a really good idea. For people who are kind of middle level test takers or high level test takers, they probably should take the test and see where their scores end up. And if the scores are within the range of what the schools are looking for, it's beneficial to submit them. If they are way below what the schools are looking for, then often it's beneficial not to do it. But one of the other considerations is even with the schools that are test optional, some of them still use test scores to decide merit aid, which is financial aid based on accomplishments. And so even if you're you're not sure it's going to help you with the admissions part necessarily, it could help you with scholarships potentially. Right. Okay. Obviously, studying is like the best way for preparation mm-hmm. for a test. But some students may not really have like a good study habit. So what are some ways that students can create like a a better study habit so they're not binging or, you know, just studying at the last minute? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's a problem I see a lot, too, when students come to me who have tried to do it on their own is because and especially in the last few years, because the kids have missed so much school and everything has been so abnormal that they they never had that good of study habits to begin with, honestly, but with the last few years where everything has been just so crazy, I do find that most students have no idea how to sit down and make a plan and work through it. And so I would say the most important thing is having an actual plan. And so what I recommend usually for students, there is a decision to be made whether you should focus on the SAT or the ACT, because the schools that accept scores still will take either one of them. So it doesn't matter which one that you do. In the past, some schools said just SAT or just ACT, but now all schools that take them will take either one. And the easiest way to decide between those is to take a practice test for both of them. And you can take practice tests at home. You don't have to go and take it officially. And there are plenty of free resources on the internet. The ACT has a free practice exam. SAT's got 10 free exams that you can find just by Googling. And sitting down and taking a practice test for each of them and then scoring them and seeing if there's a big difference between the scores. And if there's one that's clearly better than the other, it makes sense to do that one. If they're similar to each other, then you can kind of decide, okay, I liked this test or I liked the timing on this test. I didn't like the content or something like that. So you can decide. And then once you know which test you're going to take, it's important to pick a test date and sign up for it. And the reason for doing that is because when kids don't sign up for a test and they just have this open-ended period of, oh, I'm going to get to it in the next few months, it loses its priority and its importance. Right. And just like adults, most of us do, kids, if if it's not looming in there in the rearview mirror, then they will not put the effort into it. It's like, oh, I can do it next week. I can do it. I've got tests this week. I've got science tests. I've got math tests. I've got sports. I've got musicals and they will put it off. So having a date is really important so that you know what you're working up towards and then coming up with an actual schedule of what to do. So on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays from four to five, I'm going to sit down and work on this material because same deal. If you don't have it scheduled, you're not going to do it. Adults don't do it. Kids don't. Do right. It. It's, it's there are f- few people who are just special who can sit down and make themselves do it. Everybody else though, need, they need a plan. Um, and then in terms of types of materials to study, there are a lot of free materials out there on the internet now 
the College Board, which is the, the company that does SAT, they partner with Khan Academy, which is K-H-A-N, and they have all kinds of free resources. They've got uh, 10 free practice tests. They've got all kinds of digital materials to learn. There's, and then ACT has a book that's out. SAT has a book as well. And some, some kids can learn from the book, and they can just sit down and study it. It is very difficult to do that often because the material is not terribly intuitive and there right. are things on the test that the test makers don't necessarily tell you, but there are things that tutors know because they've seen the pattern. So the, I've seen 20 years worth of tests and I know that when they say this, it's a tip off for that. Or when you see right. this word, it's a red flag and that stuff is not in the books and it's not something that students will pick up intuitively because they just they don't have 20 years of looking at those tests and so sometimes either taking a class or doing individual tutoring can be really helpful as well and there's all kinds of options for that and sometimes schools will offer classes you can take a lot of classes online there are group classes through companies like Princeton Review or Kaplan and then there are also individual tutors that you can work with as well and that's what I do okay I feel like I've noticed, well, because I do like digital planning and stuff like that, I'm more on the planning and study side of the internet. So I've noticed that there's been a lot more like productivity videos and study habit tips and things like that. Do you kind of give students more of like visual things? I know for me, visual is really great for me. So kind of like, see, that's always how I've learned new things is like visually seeing it and then doing it so do you kind of steer to a more like study videos or something like that for them to kind of get ideas on how to be productive and study I haven't done a lot with that. I do give them ideas and we do talk about it. And with my different age groups, I do different things. With my younger students who are taking the private school entrance exams, I have listed out a very specific syllabus of the assignments that they should be doing with checklists and explanations. With the high school students, I give them a little bit more freedom. But if I can tell that they are struggling with those things, then we do come up with very specific ways to to implement those strategies. And I have them watch videos and do worksheets and practice with the actual material. I don't do as much with the the study habit side of it, but when they need it, we definitely talk about it. Right. I feel like that was the one good thing about the pandemic. It kind of brought on new ways Mm -hmm. of learning things. I noticed a lot of schools were offering like different programs and stuff, a lot of free Uh, program certifications and stuff online during those times. So that was a really good time to kind of learn new things in your own comfort zone and kind of figure out how you like to study and what works for you. I think that was probably like the little bit of goodness that came Uh from lockdown and the kids being in and out of digital learning and everything else. I know that's been like a huge adjustment these past two years, especially with kids like going back into school and now they're thrust back into the testing world. So it's just kind of been a whirlwind for them. I know like anxiety and depression has been a little bit higher, especially with everything going on being back in school. So what are some ways or tips that you might have to for a parent to kind of help their child with like studying and managing academics and stress? So I think 
the first part is like we talked about earlier is really being clear about what the tests mean and what they don't mean. And also right. that parents are careful that they don't put too much stress on their kid about these tests because they are important, but they're not everything. And they are even for the schools that want them. They're still just one piece of information that they're looking at among all the other things. And so the um, application counts, the essays count, the interviews count, the letters of recommendations count. So it's just a piece of information. And there are there are options. There are enough schools now that are test optional that if your kid truly does not do well on a test, they can still go to college. And sometimes parents are like, oh, if if they don't do this, then they're not they they get into the same spiral as the students. They're not going to go to college and they're not going to get right. a good job and then they're going to be homeless. And then and <laughs> none of that is true. There are plenty of colleges in the US and in the world and they will get in somewhere and they will be fine. And also just knowing too, sometimes I have students come to me and they're dead set on, I have to go to this college because maybe their parents and their grandparents and everybody went there, or they just have this idea they have to go to an Ivy League school or a very top tier school. And there are there are a lot of options in life and there are a lot of schools. And what I tell my students is you can be happy at almost any school. And because a lot of it's what you make of it. And if you aren't happy, all you have to do, then you transfer to somewhere else and then you're happy there. And I wish that was something I had known because I was one of those kids who was super stressed about college and grades and scores. And I just drove myself crazy all the time worrying about it because I had this idea I had to make the most perfect choice. And I went to college. And then when I went to grad school, I, I knew from ninth grade on that I wanted to be a psychology professor. And I set up, I spent eight years preparing for it, got myself into a very competitive graduate school program. And on the second day of being there, I realized I, I was sitting in class and I thought this wasn't the right decision. And <laughs> I, I was so shocked and I didn't know what to do. And I was 22 and I had just worked for eight years to meet this goal and it wasn't the right thing. And I stayed for three years because I didn't know that I could make a different decision, that I I could change my mind and just go somewhere else because I had always grown up hearing, you know, stick with what you started with. Or if you do something, you can't back out, you can't quit, you can't change your mind. And none of that is true. And I share that story sometimes with my students, the ones who are really focused on there is only one path. And (laughs) There isn't. And if they get somewhere that isn't right for them, and sometimes sometimes schools are not right for kids, that's really true. But right. if that happens, okay, you look, you find another school, you transfer the semester at the year, and then you go live a happy life somewhere else. And so just knowing that there are options, I think is important to, to help kids manage a little bit of that anxiety. And then with, with my students, sometimes we do, the ones who are really having trouble, we talk about some just basic anxiety management strategies. And one that I really like, and it always seems kind of silly, but it's called thought stopping. And when they start getting into that spiral of, I can't do this and I'm no good and I'm bad and whatever, is to literally just imagine a big stop sign in your head and just go, stop. And interrupting those thoughts, sometimes it seems silly, but it's effective. If you can notice them and then stop them, you can keep yourself from getting just wound up and deeper and deeper into that spiral. So I talk with them about that. And then there's also just basic stress management techniques, which are all the ones we've learned as adults and probably the kids have to eating well, managing your exercise, managing your sleep, managing your study time, and just making sure you're not doing things to excess or avoiding them to excess either. Now, I feel like math is a huge thing that people struggle with, especially like when it comes to tests, they may do like fine on the literary part or whatever other things. But with math, it's not happening. I know for me, math was my 
arch nemesis for test taking, especially mm-hmm. numbers and symbols and let it like absolutely not. So how do you help students kind of be less afraid of math or just what ways would you point to to kind of help them understand it? Because I feel like everybody kind of has like a different learning right. experience, especially with math being changed kind of mm-hmm. now. Yes. And the math changing is something that drives me a little crazy because the education goes through cycles and about every 10 or 15 years, people decide, oh, we're going to do this method of math or this method of reading. And, and then that falls out of favor and then something else cycles back around and then something else with a new name, but old concepts comes back. And um, some of my students have learned some methods of math that I just, I find really ineffective and Um, not very, they're not quick and they're not effective. And so with my younger students, especially, I teach them the ways that I know that most of us have learned and that that are easy to use. And typically when they learn those, they go, oh, this is easy. Why didn't I learn this at school? And I I don't know. (laughs) Don't use that one for school, but use it for tests. And in the last couple of years, what what I'm finding is that and, and it's no surprise, and this is starting to come out in the news too, kids lost a lot of learning and they lost a lot of math. And especially for my younger students, a lot of them miss second and third and fourth grade or kind of those middle school years. And they they are really struggling with just basic math skills. And so I'm having to spend a lot of time going back to, here's how you do multiplication, here's how you do division, here's how you add and subtract fractions. And that is to have that base of just basic knowledge is a really really important part of being successful at tests, because if you can't do the basics, you can't do the more advanced problems. And so what I would say parents can do right now is make sure that their child is caught up on those basic skills, because if they were anywhere in elementary school or early middle school, they missed a ton of math um, during during those pandemic years, the 2021. And so when parents come to me with their children, especially the younger ones who can't use calculators on the test, the first thing I ask them is, do they know their times tables? Do they know these basic procedures? And they're like, well, kind of. So if parents are looking to help their children things, that's what I would say is where to start is just make sure they have the basic foundation down. And there's a good chance they don't if they have gone through elementary school or middle school in these last few years. And once you have those basic skills, then you can really, once you have the foundation, then you can start building on them and work up to the test prep. Um, But before that, it makes it really hard to do test prep if you don't know how to multiply or you don't know how to add fractions. Right. Yeah, we have all three actually elementary, middle and high school right now. So we see all three levels of how the lockdown and working from home has kind of demolished the math. So we're like working on the basics with like elementary and then middle. Mm -hmm. We're trying to just kind of help get back into their math structure and like as my husband is the math one, like I send all of the math homework his way. Mm-hmm. He's the good with numbers. I will help with all of the reading and any of that. So we've kind of had to tag team with that with because the math is like, wait a minute, like we did this, but like I can't really remember it. So right. it's like really trying to restructure what they kind of missed out on. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would say intervene early is important because if your child is struggling in fifth grade math, once they're in 10th grade, it's not going to get better if they have not picked up the fifth grade skills because they all build on each other. And so um, if you do know that your child is having trouble in math right now, even if it's years before they're going to take a test, 
get them a tutoring or get somebody to work with them or have them meet with their teacher extra because it just gets harder and nothing gets easier as you go along. And if you miss those basic building blocks, math just gets harder and harder and harder. After everything the world has been going through lately, I know being alone with your thoughts can be an isolating feeling, especially the stay-at-home parent gang. Sorry, but your dog isn't interested in giving you life advice. But as someone who has seen the extreme depths of depression, postpartum depression, anxiety, and stress myself, it can and often will allow those intrusive thoughts and negativity to consume you. After going through an extremely tough year, dealing with a miscarriage, loss, and so much more, today's sponsor BetterHelp definitely came to my rescue and they're here to help you too. BetterHelp has customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't even have to leave your house or see anyone on camera if you don't want to. There's a broad range of expertise on BetterHelp, and with over 20,000 plus therapists in their network, it's so easy to find the right therapist for you. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You schedule your secure video or phone sessions, and you can exchange unlimited messages with your therapist anytime. I've used BetterHelp for over three years. It was definitely helpful when I moved to a new state and knew absolutely no one. When I needed a new therapist but couldn't leave because of lockdown, BetterHelp was there. Those unlimited texts to my therapist came in handy. Everything you share is completely confidential and you can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. So many people are already using BetterHelp that they are currently recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash awkwardmomstage. That's betterhelp.com slash awkwardmomstage. The link is in the show notes. Mental health is so important and so are you. If you feel that you need help with more than just figuring out who you are, or if you just need someone to talk to, BetterHelp makes it easy to find a therapist that's right for you. Can you talk to us more about standardized test preparation and like what the process kind of looks like when a student comes to you for help? Sure. So typically... When a student comes to me, especially for SAT or ACT, like we were talking about earlier, if they have not taken a test before, I usually have them take a practice test for both SAT and ACT, and we decide which test to take. Um, And then once we know which test the student's going to prepare for, we pick a test date so that they have something concrete to study for and a period of time to work up to. And then once we get started, the I I work with students individually, and the first few lessons are pretty similar for all students because there are basic strategies and techniques that everybody needs to know. And so we're talking about some of those strategies, and some of them are test-specific. There are some nuances between SAT and ACT that are a little bit different, but some of them are just general test-taking skills that could apply to other tests that people take, just at school, their school test or other standardized tests. And then once we get past that material, then we're really free to focus on the things that the student needs. And that's one of the 
advantages of individual tutoring is I can customize it whatever way we need to do. And when I was teaching group classes many years ago, um, when I first started out teaching test prep, we were taught to teach the classes right down the middle. And so the students who were very advanced were bored. The students who were really struggling were confused and bored. And the kids in the middle were bored because three hours is a long time to sit in an SAT class on a Saturday. And that's something I really love about doing individual tutoring is I I can I can just narrow down on what we need to be spending time on for each individual student. And there is a mixture of the types of things we work on. Some we are we do work on things that are difficult for the student that they struggle with, but we also really focus on where they're likely to get points back because you just need as many points as you can. And sometimes I have a lot of students who struggle with dyslexia or ADHD or other types of issues. And there are some things that sometimes those students may not be able to significantly improve just because there are other issues going on, but there are ways to work around those and make sure that you bring up the scores on the other parts to help compensate for weaknesses that may or may not be amenable with test prep. And so there is a balance of what are you struggling with and also where can you get the points back the easiest? Because there are definitely sections and types of problems that are easier than others. And your goal is just get as many points as you can. And sometimes that involves Knowing, okay, this is a little bit, uh, this can be very hard to improve. It can be improved some, but this section can be improved a lot. When should a parent or a student kind of seek out expert help? Or is this something that even a student that's right on the right track, so to speak, should kind of seek out to just kind of prepare for test taking and kind of those college entrance exams and all of that? So the tests generally, students should plan to take them around their junior year, sometime during junior year. You have technically up until about September, early October of your senior year to take them, but that's really late to do it. I have some people who come to me as seniors and they haven't done any prep and it's really stressful to wait to your senior year because you've got school, you've got your applications, sometimes people are doing college visits and trying to fit all of that in into a couple of months is not a good idea. And so typically most students do take them during their junior year or maybe summer after junior year. What I usually recommend is by maybe the summer before junior year to at least take a practice test for both of them and see where you're starting at. And if you're somebody who's naturally scoring a 1500 out of 1600 on the SAT without prep, you probably can get by with doing a few practice tests out of the book and reading through it. If you're scoring a thousand, which is kind of 50th percentile of SAT out of 1600, you probably do need some more help and you probably would benefit from having some focused help. And again, there there are some students who can just sit down and do it. And I was one of those students because I love tests and I think they're fun. And I, I sat down and made myself do it. But most people, it, it's just too challenging to both in terms of content and just making yourself do it. Right. Once a student has gotten on track and their testing is much better and their scores are good, how can they use those to get scholarships for college since especially a lot of students will need scholarships or grants to go to school. How can they kind of use those to their benefit? So there are a couple of different types of scholarships that students can get. There are some that are just offered by private corporations and companies and groups. And those you can search for on the internet. You can type in scholarship in your area or scholarship and 
Um, a lot of times religious organizations offer scholarships, sometimes business organizations do. If you have a parent who works for a large company, a lot of times companies will offer scholarships as well. And so you do have to do a little bit of searching, but Google's got lots of information about those. And then the schools also offer their own scholarships. And there are some schools and states that offer merit aid to anybody who achieves a certain score. So I know in Florida, the state schools have what's called the Bright Future Scholarship. And if you score right. a certain score, you automatically get a scholarship. And I believe I believe that one does is full tuition for four years for Bright Scholars. Okay. So if there are certain schools that you're interested in, what I would recommend is looking up their scholarships. And same deal, you can Google those two, the name of the school and merit scholarships, or and it will tell you if they have them and what the criteria is. And once you know what the criteria is, then you can figure out Okay, you can work backwards from there. Where am I at right now on my test scores? Am I able to improve them? And what do I need to do to improve them? So, like, I had a student um, a couple of weeks ago who wanted to, who was trying to get that bright future scholarship, and he was at a 1290, and I believe you need about a 1330 for it. And he okay. was a senior, and he just had a few weeks left, but he knew it was worth it to spend the time to try that test one more time. He had already been doing some right. prep before he came to me and he's like, I just need a few more points back and 40 points on the SAT is about four or five questions extra getting them right. And so we sat down, he focused and he got it done. He got exactly the score he needed. And now he has a four-year scholarship because he put in that time and energy because he knew it was available and, and he made it a priority and he did it, which was awesome. That's awesome. Now that I guess that's good to know because I feel like maybe students don't know that they're able to retake the mm-hmm. test, I feel like that's also added pressure because I feel like sometimes they go in like, this is it. If this first test score <laughs> is going to be the answer for everything. So I think knowing that you can retake them and like take the time to look over the work again and kind of calm yourself a bit. And I feel like sometimes it actually helps if you, you know, take it and don't necessarily get the score you want. Now you kind of have like a feeling of what you're going into. So it's not as much stress the second time around. Right. And it is perfectly legitimate to take tests more than once. And most of my students do, and quite a lot of students do as well. And one thing that students are worried about sometimes is that they have to send all of their scores. So if they have a low score first, they're worried the schools might see this low score and then a higher score. But it at this point in time for both the SAT and ACT, you can actually choose what set of scores you want to send. And so if you take the test in September and then you take it again in December and you didn't like your September scores, you don't have to do anything with them. When it's time to apply, you just tell the company, I only want to send December scores and they will just send those. And so they, you don't have to report all of them and you, you can choose. And when you choose, you do choose by test date. So you, you don't necessarily get to say, I want this reading and this math, but there is a thing called super scoring, which is where schools will cherry pick your best score. So if you had your best English score on your December test, but your math score in March was higher And this one was that they some schools will do that where they will take your highest from each test and then they create what's called a super score where they either add all those scores together for SAT or they average them together for ACT. And not all schools do that, but you can find that out, too, by Googling school name and super score and it'll tell you if they do or not. 
Oh, awesome. That's good to know. So, yeah, I think that's another thing. It's like, well, if I take it more than once, like, I'm going to have to send them all in. They're going to know. Yes. It's like, nope. well, that's good to know that and you in do the, not have in to the do past, that. In the past, excuse me, you used to have to do that for SAT, but you don't anymore. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's like, I think that also takes a little mm-hmm. bit of pressure off of that. Yes. <laughs> And taking the test more than once is useful generally as well, because the first time kids go in to take it, it is stressful and it's a little right. scary. And some for some kids, it is their first really big standardized test or their big high stakes test. And just the procedure of having your ID with you and sitting down and doing your bubble sheet and sitting for three hours and being able to manage all of that, that is a new experience. And so I always tell my students the first test that they take, I just consider it an experiment. I, I'm not expecting best scores from that. I'm not necessarily even expecting a big change from where they started out on the practice test because they're still learning and you, it takes time to do these things. And so that is just an experiment. Get it out of the way, see what it's like, figure out if you feel anxious or not, figure out if you need more water or less water or what kinds of pencils you need, silly things like that, but important things. Right. And then really the second test, or maybe a lot of my students take three. It's not that big a deal would be the ones that we're really focusing on for the big score increases. Okay. Before we go, I always like for my guests to kind of leave with some last advice or tips for the listeners. Do you have any other like test taking preparation or advice for students and parents that can kind of help them better prepare for the upcoming test seasons? Mm-hmm. My my main tip is always start early, but not too early. And so I have a lot of, sometimes I have parents contact me and their child is in eighth or ninth grade and they say, we want to start doing SAT prep. And I usually <laughs> tell them no, because eighth or ninth grade is too early to start okay. specifically preparing for the test. And especially for the SAT, the SAT is going to be changing in 2024. It's going digital and the format is changing. And so there's definitely no reason for younger students to start studying for the SAT now because it's not even going to be the same test when okay. it comes time for them to take it. But with that being said, there is plenty that you can be doing to prepare. And a lot of that is making sure you are up to date with your skills. So as we spoke about earlier, making sure you do know all your basic math skills and have a decent grasp of reading and reading for fun is a really important thing too because the reading comprehension section of the test is challenging to do if you're not a good reader or you don't have experience reading and pretty much the only way to become a good reader is to read and a a lot of students don't like to or especially with all electronics these days you know kids are on their electronics instead of reading. And I'm guilty of that too. I love to read, but I spend too much time on the internet instead of reading books. So making sure that your child is reading and understanding what they're reading. And if they have gaps that you're finding, take care of them early rather than later, because it just, school just builds on itself and it gets harder and harder later to remedy things. So if you could catch them earlier, that's what I highly recommend doing. And, and also just knowing what the tests mean, what they don't mean. And right now, because everything is so uncertain with schools, doing your research early on about what schools are wanting and knowing that test optional doesn't necessarily really mean test optional. Sometimes it does, but sometimes (laughs) it doesn't. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've really enjoyed talking to you and learning about test taking. And I think with students knowing now that you know, there is a chance for, you know, doing it again and that sometimes doing it again can help you in the long run. 
and that you also don't have to send in all of your tries. I feel like those are main things that I hear, especially with mine. And it's like, well, if I do it this time, like this is the grade that's going to stick. And it's like, well, no, like, you know, you can try again. It'll give you more time to prepare. And sometimes the second time is better than the first. So, you know, I, I think that was really a really good tip. And thank you so much for the stress management and test preparation tips. And before we go today, where can everyone find you on social media to chat, get more information, or possibly work with you in the future? Sure. My website is inhousetestprep.com. It's I-N-H-O-U-S-E, test prep, all one word. And on my website, I've got a parent guide for the SAT and ACT that you can download for free. And it's got some tips and information about when to start preparing, how to start preparing, if you, your child needs extended time, those sorts of things. And there's also a link on there to schedule a call with me if you like. Awesome. Well, all right, y'all, I will make sure I link all of Dr. Kelly's information in the show notes so everyone can check her out and get some great study information, test prep information. And thank you once again, Dr. Kelly, for coming on and Thank you for sharing all of your information with us and letting us know kind of what it looks like for test preparation and what students have to look forward to and kind of all of the options that they have as well. Thanks so much. I really appreciate being here. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. I hope you learned as much as I did from Dr. Kelly today and that it gives you a little more insight on testing, ways to improve your scores and how you study. I hope this will move you closer to going to the college of your dreams or doing whatever it is you're trying to do for your career once you graduate. I'll leave all of Dr. Kelly's information in the show notes so you can check her out and get in contact with her for any questions you may have or any information that wasn't covered today. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and your continued support. If you haven't already, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You can even just leave five stars on Apple. You don't even have to type words if that's not your thing. But it really helps me out with ranking and I'll show up more on podcasting platforms so more listeners can find me. Let me know you're listening and you love it. Share the love by taking a screenshot of today's episode or copy the link and share. Tag me at the Awkward Mom Stage on Instagram or at Awkward Mom Stage on Twitter so others can find me as well. I'll reshare them and shout you out on the podcast as a thank you. If you'd like to donate to the show to help with behind the scenes or you just want to buy this hot mess mama a coffee, you can click the support the show link. And if you're enjoying the show so far and you have topics you want me to cover or someone you think should be a guest on the show, send me a DM or an email and let me know. Until next week, y'all, I hope you have a great Friday or whichever day you're listening to this. And always remember you're beautiful. Bye. Do you want to start a podcast, but you don't know where to start? As the host and producer of this podcast, I can tell you it's definitely not easy. When I started out, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing or where to start. Buzzsprout has been my go-to from the start of my podcast. They have so many helpful videos on hosting, how to edit, how to add music, how to post, what to post. I mean, you name it and they help you with it. And their Facebook community is helpful too. If you're trying to start a podcast or you already have a podcast and you're looking to upgrade, definitely check out Buzzsprout. They have everything you need to get started, even a domain name if you don't already have one. Trust me, I'm no tech genius and Buzzsprout has definitely been my saving grace. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world.
Follow the link in the show notes to let Buzzsprout know we sent you and get a $20 credit when you sign up for a paid plan. Now back to the show. Thanks for joining me this week on the Awkward Mom Stage podcast. Make sure to visit our Instagram page at the Awkward Mom Stage where you can follow and find information on next week's show, updates for the podcast, behind the scenes clips, and more. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast shows. While you're at it, if you're enjoying the show, I'd appreciate it so much if you rate the show on iTunes or share this podcast with a friend. Be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode. I hope you have an awesome week. Always remember you're beautiful. Lola. Audio Podcast Network.